Now, you know that some, some conversations are just going to lead to a fight. It just happens. It happens every fall. Ducks, beavers, green arms. You know, you just get diehard fans talking ducks and beavers. You're going to end up with a fight. It's just the way it is because they both believe they're right. And those who follow Stanford believe they're both wrong. That's another story. You know you're going to have an argument when you talk about if a guy watches Downton Abbey. You know you're going to have an argument. Because the ladies are going to say, oh, now that is a real man. And like, oh, he's got a soft, tender heart. And then the other guy is going to be saying, manly. I mean, Downton Abbey, you've got to be kidding me. You know, there's got to be something else to watch. Uh, now, I'm going to set the record straight. I love Downton Abbey. Okay? Don't be a hater, okay? Just don't be a hater. But you're going to get an argument. You're going to get an argument. And then when you read texts like we're about to read tonight, it's going to cause frustration. Okay? Let's just put it out there. Let's just read it. Mark 10, 1 and following. Jesus left that place and went to the region of Judea, across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. Let's just pause for a second. He went to the region of Judea across Jordan. Just to let you know in the, in the tone of this, this is the area where John the Baptist used to, ba used to baptize people. This is the area where John the Baptist preached against Herod, who divorced his wife and got his brother's wife to be his wife. And it got him killed. John the Baptist was killed because he preached about the truth of God and told Herod, he shouldn't have taken this woman to be his wife. That is why Mark tells us that little piece. And we'll keep going. Verse 2, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied, they said, uh, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorce, divorces her husband and marries another man, he commits adultery. Now, you can't, you can't read something like this from the lips of Jesus and not bring up a hornet's nest of emotion. And so just reading this, I don't know most of you, to be honest. I don't know where you come from. I don't know... If you were born into a home and there was a divorce and, and you watched it, I don't know. If you're single here tonight or if you're engaged to be married or if you're married or happily married or unhappily married or almost no longer married or no longer married or married and divorced and remarried, we are all over the map when it comes to relationships. And I don't need you to raise your hands. Everyone in here has experienced divorce to some level. Everyone. Could have been an aunt and uncle, could have been your next door neighbor. This hits everyone. So what Jesus says is important. But I need you to know this isn't about divorce. 
Now, we're going to talk about divorce because Jesus brings it up. Jesus is actually talking about something greater than divorce. And so we'll get to that in the end, but I need you to wade through this. And for some, if this is hard, please just hear me out. Let's let Jesus say what Jesus says. Let's not try to cover it up. Let's not try to explain him away. Let's understand Jesus. And then we'll talk about the bigger issue that Jesus is actually addressing, which is not divorce. Right? Let's just work back through it. Verse 2. Some Pharisees came and tested him. You see, this wasn't an issue in a debate about divorce. This was a test by the Pharisees. Now, why is it a test? Because if you know anything about life in the first century, divorce was as rampant then as it is today. And in Jewish culture, divorce was acceptable and happened all the time. And so when Jesus makes his comments, he's talking about these guys who are testing him about something that there's no reason to test him about. They're picking a little bit of a fight, but everyone knew that in Jewish life, you were allowed to divorce, which why, which why Jesus simply says, well, what did Moses command you? So the Pharisees make an issue about, is it lawful? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a trick question. They knew it was lawful, but they pick a fight, and Jesus says, okay, let's swing. Verse 3, what did Moses command you? So he takes them back to the Torah, to the scriptures, and they said, and they quote from Deuteronomy 24. This is what they say. Aha, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So Moses says it's okay. Now you need to know that there are various opinions about divorce in the church today. Is anyone allowed to get a divorce? If you get a divorce, can you be remarried? What can you do after having a divorce? Does divorce taint you from leadership? Like, there are all sorts of opinions. And in Jesus' day, there were all sorts of, of opinions based on Deuteronomy 24, where Moses says you can give your wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. But there were two major opinions. Now, over here, look at the key word. Man marries a woman who becomes displeasing. So if your wife becomes displeasing, you can send her away. Isn't that nice? Because he finds something, here's another key word, indecent about her, and then he should write a certificate of divorce. Now, what does it mean to displease your husband? There's two major schools of thought here, and there's two rabbis, two teachers, who people sided with one or the other. Let's look at them. The school of Shammai. Shammai was a rabbi, he was a teacher. And so his teaching of the scriptures was that it was only adultery. So a man may not divorce, is a quote, may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her for it's written, and then Deuteronomy 24, because he had found in her indecency. So what is it that's displeasing? What is indecent and proper? Well, she, she committed adultery. Therefore, if that happens, you can, Moses is saying, if she commits adultery. But there are others who disagreed. Rabbi Hillel. Another popular rabbi said, no, 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 no. He may divorce her even if she's spoiled a dish for him. That's displeasing. Who wants burnt food? Your wife burns food. She can't cook. That's displeasing. She's wronged me. Goodbye. For it's written because he hath found in her indecency. It's indecent. Even if he has found another fairer than she, she got ugly. I didn't say that. That's what, that's Hillel. Talk to the man. If, 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 if a man finds this woman no longer pleasing to him, now, all I want you to know is 
there wasn't one uniform interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. Now, who did the Pharisees follow? And here's the key. The reason you need to know this is because the Pharisees followed Hillel. They believed you could divorce a woman for any reason. So they're the ones asking, is it lawful, Jesus, to give a woman a certificate of divorce, to divorce her? When they already followed the loosest, we'd say Shammai was conservative. Only in certain cases, we'd say Hillel would be more liberal or more open. And they followed, the Pharisees followed Hillel. Now look at what Jesus does, because Jesus is genius. He doesn't bring up Shammai. He doesn't bring up Hillel. He brings up God. This is great. I love it. Verse 5. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. So rather than saying this is what indecent and this is what displeasing is, he represents his father, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, and says the only reason Moses wrote that law was because the people's hearts were hard. Jesus said, and then this is what he does. But, verse 6, at the beginning. So rather than quoting some rabbi, Jesus quotes God. In the beginning, when God creates the heavens and the earth, and then he, he just quotes from Genesis 2. He made them male and female. So God made the man, and God made the female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become something brand new. They'll become one flesh. So Jesus, in answering their false question on divorce, is taking us to the heart of God when it comes to human relationships. Let's step away just from marriage for a second. How is God calling us to relate to him? And how is God calling us to relate to one another? What Jesus does is he lays out God's plan from the beginning, and that is what he wants is covenant. Say the word covenant with me covenant. A man will leave his home where he's been under their protection and he'll, he'll take his wife and the two will become one flesh. God makes man, God makes woman, God designs marriage, God brings them together and God says, I'm going to create something brand new. Absolutely brand new. It's not, it's not Joe and Sally, it's not Adam and Eve, it's not Brooke and Elizabeth. I am going to bring together one flat, there's some relationship that is going to be beautiful, and it's going to be a picture of my relationship, says God, with you. So God's plan for the beginning in marriage is not something flippant, is not something lighthearted, and that's why Jesus is against the Pharisees and their view on divorce. God is about covenant relationship. Now, there's a difference. You could either see marriage as a covenant or you can see it in, in the American or Western worldview as a contract. You see, what Jesus is doing is bringing them back to the heart of God when it comes to relationships. Now, what is a covenant? Uh, it seems weird. Marriage is a covenant which is a promise or a pact. A, a man's going to leave his house and find this woman and make a promise to her make a pact with her. It's an agreement. And that's why we follow in the tradition, maybe many of you, if you are married here, you, you did the, the vows and you stood before uh, a minister and before people and you said before God that 
for richer or for poorer, preferably richer, right? In sickness and in health, preferably healthy, but I'll be there, you know, till death do us part. And that is covenant language. Covenant language is the admission that it's not one plus one makes one plus one. It's one plus one makes something altogether different relationally. It's not like, well, I got my 50% of the contract. That's my part. You got your 50% of the contract. And if someone breaks their part of the contract, we tear up the contract and it's over and I'm out of here. God's heart, you gotta, you gotta realize this. This didn't show up at the end of the Bible. This is right after the creation of the universe. This is so fundamental to who God is that when he writes his own story, he says, oh, I made the universe, like everything. Oh, and then I made, I made men and women, and then I created this relationship like no other relationship. Wow. This is huge in the sight of God. And the idea is that you and I, at one point, if God allows you to meet the right person, we would come into a pact and an agreement with a spouse. Now, what does a covenant look like? Because it sounds like a very strange term. You see this thread run throughout the Bible. I want to read from Ephesians 5. Because what a guy later on after Jesus, who's a Jesus expert, Paul, he takes this whole idea of this, this bond, this relationship, this agreement, this pact, and he, he gets this understanding like, oh, I get it now. It is about, Genesis 2, men and women, but it's actually about something bigger. What God shows us at the beginning of the Bible and runs all the way throughout is that there is a relationship that you and I are called to with God. We're to live in such a way with the creator of the universe that there will be a bond between us and our God that will last to the end of days. Marriage is a picture of a greater reality, and the greater reality is that you were created by God for God. You were made to know God. You were made to walk in step with God. And yeah, we fail God, but we were made to live life in right relationship with God. Now throw it out, Ephesians 5, 28 through 33. Uh, this is how he applies it out. Paul says, husbands ought to love their wives. And the lady said, amen. As their own bodies. And this is interesting. Don't, how are you going to love your wife? As your own bodies. How many love yourself? Yeah, the rest of your lives. It's called self-preservation. It's the highest, it's the highest desire. You want to live. You love you more than anyone else. So, but no, now that you're in covenant, Love your wife like you love yourself. Why? He who loves his wife loves himself. That makes no sense. I thought he who loves his wife gets brownie points. He who loves his wife doesn't sleep on the couch. He, you know, no. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why? Genesis 2 is right. It is no longer my 50%, your 50%, hopefully we meet in the middle. It is now two became what? One flesh. So if you love your wife, you're showing love to yourself because you're no longer owned by you. You're now in right relationship with this one person for life. Now, it's not just about marriage. Why? Uh, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body. Oh, interesting. Now Jesus shows up. Just as Jesus does the church. So Jesus loves us, and Jesus feeds us, and Jesus cares for us. Why? 
Therefore, we, who are followers of Jesus, are members of whose body? His body. Do you see the picture here? It's not just the conversation about divorce is about divorce in Mark 10, but it's about something greater. It is about remembering who you are and who you were created to live in rightness with, and that's God. So Paul teases it out. Husbands, of course, love your wives. Why? Because Jesus made a covenant with us. Jesus chose to marry us. Jesus chose to become one flesh, mystery with us. When, when we said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, he says, you're mine, not in a contract. Hey, Jesus says, I'll do my 50%. I already did it on the cross. Gotcha. And then you do your 50%. Be nice. Right? And if, if you keep your 50%, I'll keep my 50%. No. When you say yes to follow Jesus, you, in this mystery, I cannot explain in human language, but I try, you join with Jesus, the creator of the universe. Now, if that doesn't mess up your thinking about how to live your life, I don't know what will. Let's just tease it out another way. Some of the reason we find ourselves in our ruts and our sin habits and our stupidity and our laziness is because we forget who we're married to. I have been joined with the Lord if I've chosen to follow Jesus. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, you are united forever with Jesus, the Lord of the universe. And if that is true, it changes the way I live, which is Jesus' point in Mark 10. Let's just finish this. Then, then Paul quotes, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh, just like in the Christian experience. This is a profound mystery. Thank you, Paul. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. You know, he goes back to them and he's like, I'm talking about your relationship with, with Jesus. However, oh, by the way, it's not just mystical and spiritual. It's actually practical. You must love your wife as you love yourself. And the wife must respect the husband. So marriage is a picture of a greater reality, is that God invites people to life with him at the deepest of levels, and like he's inviting you to life with him at the deepest of levels. Now, okay, what do, we, what do we do then? Because Deuteronomy 24 says that you can write a certificate of divorce and get rid of your wife. What Jesus is saying is the only reason that God allowed Moses to have a concession was because their hearts were so hard that ladies, for the most part, although a woman could divorce her husband, but for the most part, ladies in their culture were being sent out with nothing. And so because their hearts were so hard and they didn't get this covenant, they didn't get this bond, they didn't understand that it was about God in them and they're just to live out the way God has treated them. God's been good to them and therefore they should be good to their spouse. God's loved them, therefore they should love their spouse. God's forgiven them, therefore they should forgive their spouse. That we live as the pattern of God's action towards us, right? That's God's design. But because their hearts were so callous, he writes a provision so that these poor women, literally poor, who are being kicked to the curb, that, okay, you're so hardened, you must send her out in a proper way. You must send her out with the dowry money that she received, that you got when you married her. You can't just throw her out. 
you must write a certificate because if you're just rejecting her, who's going to care for her? How is anyone else going to know that she wasn't unfaithful? So you have to at least provide a document that gives her the ability to go into someone else's home and be cared for. It was a very unfair culture. And so God does not change his mind. In his love and his mercy, he provides a concession. But hear this. Divorce or a certificate of divorce was never God's intention. Never, 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 never. It's never been God's heart that any man and any woman would break that because the two will become one flesh. Therefore, what God, not the state, not, not a human, what God has put together, let no man separate. But when men and women, when our hearts are hard, we take the place of God and we make our own choices and God in his mercy provides a way of protection, but don't mistake God's mercy with God's heart. You see the difference? He's merciful and he'll care for the woman who's being let go unfairly, but his heart is never for that guy to loosely let her go. Now, I will pause, breathe deeply, because at this point, there's not a toe I have not stepped on. And I, I, I understand that, and I get it, and I can read nonverbal language. It's, this is hard stuff. But what we want to do is get the heart of God. Forget about our experience for a second. We'll come back to that. Forget about my own worldview. As important as it is, it could be off. Forget about what everyone else is telling me. Forget about what I feel. All of that's valid. I'm not invalidating any of it. I'm saying hold it at bay, and let's just tease out what Jesus says. So let's, let's look back here at Mark 10, because if you think it gets better, it gets worse. Verse 10 of chapter 10. So because, verse 9 says, therefore will God is together, no man separate. When they're in the house again, the disciples are totally confused. Remember, the Pharisees are the most rigorous religious leaders. The Pharisees say, you can get rid of your wife. Jesus stands and quotes Genesis 2 and says, your hearts are hard and you're wrong. To the preachers of the day, which is shocking. And at that point, they ask Jesus, verse 11. Um, they go and they ask Jesus, and he answered. Now, we don't get the question, but we kind of know what he's getting at. He answered. They're probably asking, okay, is there not an out clause to you? Uh, what, what, what do we do here? You just said no man should separate. But the, even Shammai says adultery, and you're saying, like, no way. And he says in verse 11, he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Like, shock of all shocks. There, there, there's nothing more shocking than what Jesus just said. And then, just in case, any ladies were thinking they're going to get it off the hook. Verse 12. If she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. We need to sit in this, and the temptation is to simply explain away. Now, context. Jesus is speaking to a culture just like ours where many people are getting divorced for many reasons. 
And Jesus seems to take the hardest stance for what God designed. And that's what we need to see. What Jesus is saying is, yes, human hearts get hard. Yes, human hearts sin. Yes, humans hurt humans. Husbands hurt wives. Wives hurt husbands. All sorts of clashes. But that does not change the heart of God. It doesn't change God's heart. It doesn't change God's design. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples is if you're looking for an escape clause, God's not going to give you one. He's not. If you're looking for a way out, what you need to know is if you don't understand God's heart for relationships, a lot of people are going to get hurt. And he just uses an example. You could end up, because your hardness of heart, jumping from one bad relationship to an adulterous relationship. And guys can do it, and ladies can do it. And so, okay, now that, that is what Jesus said. Now, what we don't have time for tonight, this isn't like a long lecture, what we don't have time for tonight is to deal with Matthew 19, where Jesus in the same kind of setting says, except for adultery, and then 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul talks about rationale where people get uh, there, where there's rationale where people might be able to get divorced. All I want you to hear for now is that it's not God's heart. That, that we could go multiple texts, but every text you go to, you will not find God anywhere saying it's his heart. So let me just throw in a statement and then we'll begin to practically apply this out because some of us, we've been victims of it, we have done it, we've been hurt by it, and we'll have to figure out where, where we can find healing and hope. But before we move to that, we have to think about this. There's a, a little bit of a saying, and, and it says, well, I don't know if he or she has biblical grounds for divorce. Have you ever heard that? I don't know if he or she has biblical grounds for divorce. I don't know if he or she, you know, if the Bible is good. There are no biblical grounds for divorce. Now, divorce happens, but there are... Because the implication of biblical grounds for divorce, when you, when you use that phrase, you're, you're thinking in terms of contract instead of covenant. It is always God's heart for restoration and hope and renewal in the current relationship. When we use the phrase, I know what you mean by it. Are there circumstances where divorce is going to happen? Yes, absolutely, let's be honest. But if we're looking for biblical grounds for divorce, we're looking for an exemption clause in a contract. And the Bible will not give that. So divorce does happen, remarriage does happen, and we have to figure this out, we have to wrestle with it, and I want to do that now. But you just need to know that it's a covenant. What God has put together, let no man separate. So in that sense, we shouldn't be looking. And so it comes to the harsh reality that if you're standing with Scripture, even if, let's just say there are provisions where divorce would be allowable, God's heart would be, don't go that way anyway, but find a way to restore. Now, five thoughts for tonight, and, and if it's somber, it's because it's a weighty subject that hits all of us. Number one, um, God forgives. I thought about putting this last, uh, you know, icing on the cake. But I think we need to start here. 
This is where we need to begin, because God forgives. So the reason for their explosion of divorce was hardness of heart, according to Jesus, who's always right. So we have to say that sometimes what has happened was not God's fault, it was yours. It was mine. It was our fault. And we have to own up to it. And we can't pass the buck and say it was environment, or he said, she said, and, 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 and I, God wants me happy. I would say God does not want you happy. If happiness comes in following him, so be it. God wants you to live holy before him. God wants you to honor him with your life. And if that produces happiness, which it does, he wants you to be obedient. He wants you to be other-centered. He wants you to be a servant. <laughs> Actually, he wants us to be like Jesus, who never sinned and didn't have to die, and gave himself for people like you and me who to reject him. So we can't go with the, this, this doesn't make me feel good, because I got a feeling Jesus didn't feel good as he was paying for the sin of the world. But that's love. Covenantal love, God kind of love, is you lay your life down, even knowing that the one you're dying for might reject you. Now, okay, step back. What we need to hear is that God forgives anyone and everyone who asks him. So you're not going to find one case in the Bible where anyone does anything that God doesn't forgive them when they say, I'm sorry. So wherever you are on the spectrum, if you are guilty or if you have been hurt, you need to know that in God there's complete forgiveness. And in Jesus there's full redemption. And there's no second class citizens. There's husbands and wives, so to speak. There's those in absolute relationship, full relationship, all the blessing of being united with Christ. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, and you have been divorced, or you are divorced, or are contemplating divorce, you just, you need to know that this is not the unpardonable sin, and you're not like a second-class citizen in the church, and I grew up in a, in a church community for some reason, I, I mean, I was a kid, and I knew it, that like divorce was the massive taboo word, no, it wasn't written on a document, but it was like, ooh, And it was this weird thing. And so now my parents have not been divorced, and I have not been divorced, so I don't understand that kind of stigma, but you just need to know that's not the heart of God. So it's not the heart of God to treat one sin as, as more poignant and a higher focus than others. All sin is painful. Wouldn't you agree? Now, some sin is more destructive, and that's why divorce, because of the implications to spouse, to extend a family, to children, is so huge. That's why I think we get this stigma. But three of my aunts love Jesus and all experience divorces. So I get it from that level, and a, a couple from partner unfaithfulness, and, and both try to work it out, and their husband would not, my uncles would not resolve, would not, and they left. Another from domestic abuse, it happens. And so I, I understand it, but here's, you, you need to know this. I've watched over the last few decades of God's story in my aunts of beauty. And it's not the end of their life, and it's not the end of their world, and God has done so much in them and through them, and one of them has gone home to be with Jesus, and she died a year ago of cancer. And, 
But her whole life was marked by this humility and this love and this passion for Jesus. So if you've been through it, it is not the end of your story. So if you were born and raised in, in a broken home, an incomplete home because your parents didn't work it out or maybe never got married, you need to know this. That does not have to be your story. Don't believe the lie that because that's what you've seen, that's what you have to experience. God is better for you. You don't have to walk down the same road. And if you've been broken in relationship, you need to know that God is after your healing. God forgives. God restores. God is for you. The second thing is you need to know that marriage is a lifelong covenant. I think that in the church, because our culture is so no-fault divorce, that we just pick up where our culture leaves off. I don't think we see marriage on the whole for what it really is. But you need to know, especially if you're single, you're here and you're, you're full of hormones. Just full of them. You're like, oh. You know, I can, and you don't want to sleep around. You'd rather not. Um, you want to get married. You just, you, there's a couple of things you need to know. Uh, when you're thinking about your spouse, you need to be asking the question, if I think this person is God's best for me, will they be God's best for me 40 years from now? 50 years from now? Don't just think they're pretty now. It could, could this be the one that God would give me 60 years to love and live with? You need to think long term. You need to think in terms of community. You need to know that God speaks to other people most often clearer than, than to you when it comes to relationships. You need to get with some older people, some older men and women who love you and know you and know them and find out if Mr. Right needs to be kicked to the curb. <laughs> Mr. Right could be evil. But he's, you don't know. Well, they do. Just talk to someone who's been married for a while. They got eyes and nose and ears and, and spider senses. They, get, they can know, they know they know when it's off and what they will do. If you will live your life in community and invite people into your world, you know what they'll do? They'll protect you from decades of heartache. So we need to listen. We need to think about this. Marriage is sacred. It's for life, so choose wisely. Third thing we need to see is that God's heart is always repentance and reconciliation. God's heart is always repentance. So you say, like, Jose, you don't know. I, I honestly don't know what you have or are going through, but I do know the scriptures, and God's heart is always for repentance and reconciliation. So what we need to do is when we think about ending any relationship, we need to first get it out of our vocabulary. We need to pull it out. If it is an option, it will be an option that you exercise. But if you go in saying, or walk through saying, if God is right and God is good and God can forgive and God can restore, then it's going to take a softening of the heart, but God can make it right. You could be divorced right here, right now, and, and God is calling on you to get remarried to that first person. Now you say, well, I'm already remarried again. Well, then you can't do that. But the point is, we jump, listen, because <laughs> that's double trouble. But we jump from relationship to relationship so fast that we don't give room for God to heal. 
So if you haven't jumped into that next relationship, can you just hear me? Just don't. Give God room to be God. His heart is always repentance. The fourth thing is there are times when a marriage dies. There are times when it's over. And, and that it happened in Jesus' day. It happened in Moses' day. It's always happened. And so there's all sorts of gnarly things. What do we what do? We do? When, when is it okay? To, when can I declare it over? And what about remarriage? How does that work? And again, because Mark isn't treating with it here, and there's, there's actually very little textual work on it, there's lots of opinion, and there isn't even on, on the church team with the family of churches, we've talked about this, and there isn't even a united one stance. So if you're wondering and asking those real, not hypothetical, but real questions, because it's something you're going through, find one of the leaders, find one of the elders, talk it through, work it out. There are times when a marriage comes to an end, but that ought to be so like last, 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 last resort. That shouldn't be, it's where our culture goes, no fault divorce which is ironic. No fault. It was an amicable divorce. We're still friends. That's, that's not true. Man, woman, the two become one flesh. This is important to God. The fifthly, Jesus has the cure for a hardened heart. And this is this, this is Jesus' point, because remember I said this is about divorce, but it's not about divorce? It was about hardness of heart. What Jesus, Jesus didn't bring up divorce to the Pharisees, did he? They brought it up. But what Jesus does is he answers the question, and then he gets to the question behind the question. The problem with the Pharisees wasn't their position on divorce. The problem with the Pharisees was more fundamental. It was more toxic. It was their hearts were hardened towards God. And here's the funny thing, and they were God's representatives. Now, let's just tease that out for a church. We could be here, you could be a leader in this church and have a hard heart. You, you could call in the name of Jesus and look good and smell good, and I'm like, wow, he or she, they're just amazing. And your soul could be so full of hurt and anger and sin, and I don't see it, and the leaders don't see it, but God knows the heart. So the Pharisees look good to everyone except Jesus. But Jesus wants our heart. And so tonight, we don't want to end with like, well, what do I do? But we want to end with the heart of God. The heart of God is reconciliation. The heart of God is forgiveness. The heart of God is that. What would happen? What, what can keep you is if God got a hold of a husband and God gets a hold of a wife and they both repent of the things that need to be repented of and they both say, I want to commit to live like Jesus. And if husband and wife commit to live like Jesus, nothing is impossible for God. What makes it hard is most of the time it's one spouse says, I'm going to live for Jesus, and the other one's like, I'm looking for my next gig. And that's hard. But what we want is God to examine our heart. So tonight, let me just ask you, where is your heart? You used to say, like, Jose, I'm 15. I don't have to deal with this stuff. Like, geez, I mean, come on. A little a joke, a something, a quote, you know. What, here, you could be 15. You may not be dealing with this issue, but everyone is dealing with issues of the heart. Just pull it away out of the hard stuff of divorce. And let me just ask you 
broadly, where's your heart towards God? Does God have your heart? Are you, are you actually willing to go the way of Jesus and as Jesus shows you his way, that you're gonna say, yeah, I don't like it and it, it seems painful, but I'm gonna go your way. Or is your heart for, okay, God, you can have whatever is convenient, but I want my thing, and if you can enhance my thing, Jesus, I'm all for you. It sounds like the American religious smorgasbord. Enlighten me. I want the best me. Friend, without Jesus, there ain't no best you. There's no best you without Jesus. And so tonight, where are you in relationship to Jesus?